going to start a series today that I've kind of taught my entire life, and I call it the love walk because that's what Ephesians 5.1 says, but as I said, this is just the beginning. We're going to begin today, and I'm going to be teaching on this for several weeks in a row when it's my time to speak, but I want you to hear me about this. Father, well, first, let, yeah, just let me pray. Father, I do thank you yet again for the incredible grace that has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for your desire to show yourself alive to each and every one of us. You've loved us to the degree that you've placed your own spirit inside of us that we might know your voice, that we might learn your ways, and that above all, we might represent you and everything you stand for to this world. Everything you do, Father, is for the lost. So I want to thank you, Father, as we approach this incredible topic, that is you, love. I pray again for that great anointing that only comes from you, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me, that you'd anoint our ears to hear. And as I've always quoted from Acts 10, 17, I pray that all of us, like those in Thessalonica, you said those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So Father, help us look into this and see that this is the crux of everything. Your incredible great love for us in the name of Jesus, amen. Many, many years ago, when I first began to look into the Word, after I got saved and what have you, <clears throat> as I look into the Word, I, I'd find certain scriptures, and of course we know, and I'm gonna, <clears throat> some of these are so obvious to all of us, but like in 1 John, of course it says, he that knoweth not God knoweth not love, for God is love. And I read that one day all those many years ago, and this is the way the Holy Spirit led me. He said, I want you to read the entire New Testament and every place you see my name, Son of Man, Son of God, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Him, he said, I want you to substitute the word love there. He said, I want you to learn the actual character. I want you to learn my nature. I want you to see how I act, how I respond, how I, how I do what I do on this earth. And I tell you, it was something that changed everything about what I thought about Scripture. Like in him we live and move and have our being. In love we live and move and have our being. But think about the simplicity of this. This is God's word. Therefore, this is love's word. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So by looking at the life of Jesus, you actually see love in action. But again, you've got to hear me. See, we have to differentiate between what the world calls love and what God saw, sees as love. In the world, we hear the word love and we, all, we automatically kind of go, ooh, oh, you know, we think of that sweet little something and that sweet little emotional feeling that maybe you have for a loved one, a wife, a husband, children, whatever. But the love that God teaches is far stronger than that. I mean, love is created. Love created the heavens and the earth. So where there's love, there's creative power. Love is what took care of our enemies. So love is a strength. The love that I'm talking about and trying to introduce is far stronger than people realize. Many, many years ago when I first came to England, 
I was asked because I had taught on the love walk a lot in Bible schools, what have you. I was asked to teach at a particular conference up in the north of England, and uh, there were like three or four of what in those days were known as the church fathers of this nation that were there. And when they asked me what I was going to teach on, I said, I'm going to teach on what I call the love walk, the love of God. And I could literally almost see them yawn. They went, oh, oh you know, you're going you're to share that God loves us. In other words, like, you know, same old, same old stuff, God loves you. And the moment they said that, I, had, I, I knew that they had no idea at all what I was talking about. Because the love I'm talking about is the very strength of heaven. Again, it's not just an emotional issue. So anyhow, I read the entire New Testament putting love in every personal pronoun that referred to God. And I began to see so much more. But let me give you just a few scriptures, like I said here. We're going to start. But one of the ones that really hit me, we all know that in 1 Corinthians 13 is where we call it the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, and what have you. But in 1 Corinthians 14.1, that's the first verse I actually want to give to you. It said this. This is the Amplified Bible. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Remember, because the 13th chapter ended with faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Eagerly pursue. Now, again, I take every word seriously. Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. And then it says this, make it your aim, your great quest. And something about that word quest struck me. It's just, I think it's an incredibly beautiful word. But he said, make it your great quest. In other words, this is the adventure I want you to go on for the rest of your life, this. And he said, it goes on to say, make it your aim, your great quest, and early, earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual endowments, especially that you may prophesy and interpret the divine will and purpose and inspired preaching and teaching. In the King James, it says follow. It says eagerly follow this. So the word follow in the Greek is diako. It's D-I-O-K-O. And it means literally to follow after with a hostile purpose, to seek eagerly. It speaks of being aggressive in a pursuit. See, now that hit me. God's telling me, and he's spoken to my spirit. He said, I want you to be aggressive about seeking what my love looks like. He said, because the whole world has blinders on as to what it's really all about. They only see love through, you know, earthly, worldly type emotion. And, of course, you know, you've heard these old illustrations, but it's so true. In the English, we have one word for love, love. I love my dog. I love my wife. I love peanut butter. But I better not love my wife like I love my dog or else I'm going to be in trouble, right? Amen. But, of course, we know in the Greek, you know, there was these four words, agape, phileo, storge, and eros, and all have different meanings. And we'll get to these later on in the series. But he said, eagerly pursue this. Make, your, make this your great quest, this love. And I, got, I began to think about it. You know, God is love. And I heard myself ask, do I think God's very powerful? Uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd ask my congregation, how many of you think, you know, God is pretty powerful? Do you think God's pretty powerful? Yeah. Well, but God is love. So then love is pretty powerful. How many of us think that God is rather wise? Well, of course, we'd say, yeah, God's wise, but remember God's love. So love is wisdom. That's why there's no greater wisdom than love. 
That's why strife is totally antithetical to everything that God stands for. Does God have good eyesight? Yeah. Therefore, love is the greatest eyesight that you'll ever have. Love causes you to see what others don't see. Does God have good hearing? Absolutely. I went through all of this. He said, yeah, absolutely. He said, see, the thing is love will allow you to hear what's really vital, what's really important. There's a, literally a scripture that says that as well. So all of this began to just, you know, tattoo on my heart this desire, this hunger to seek this out above all things. Now, again, just to give you some other scriptures, because again, this morning is just an introduction to all this. Of course, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 is where it literally says, therefore, be imitators of God, copy him. The word is mimetos, where we get the word mimic. Therefore, be imitators of God, copy him, and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father and walk in love, which is simply where I got the title of this, the love walk. And understand, it is a walk. It's not a it's not a 50-yard dash. It's a walk. It's something that you learn as you walk and walk with it. But he says, anyhow, I'm walking love, esteeming and delighting in one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a slain offering and a sacrifice to God for you so that it became a sweet fragrance. Now, again, we're going to go into this in detail further on in the series. But think about this. He said, I want you to love one another as Christ loved us. Well, one of the things I learned real quickly was, of course, back in 1 John, it says, here in his love, not that we loved God, but he, that he first loved us. So if we're going to love, if we're actually going to see the reward of this and see the strength of it, if we're going to love like God loves, we make the decision to be the first to love. In other words, I'm not going to wait until you treat me kindly before I treat you kindly. That's not Christ. That's not God. I want to be more Christ-like. I don't know about you, but I sincerely want to be more Christ-like. I want more of God flowing through me. I want more of his power to flow through me. But see, all of this is connected. How can we think in any way, shape, or form that we can actually consistently have the power of God working in our lives if we don't have the love of God resident in our spirit and working in our soul and every aspect of our being? This is supposed to be the great controlling aspect of all of heaven's message. Think about Romans 2.4. Paul said, are you shamefully ignorant of the fact that it is the goodness of God that's intended to draw your hearts and minds to repentance? That's one of the divided lines of scripture. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that's intended to draw men's hearts and minds to change if they see his goodness. Well, again, we are to imitate and copy him. We are to be people who show his mercy to people who don't deserve it, who show his kindness to those who don't deserve it. Not to get angry, not to freak out every time somebody does you wrong. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Jesus made it very clear. So people are going to be cruel. There are people who are going to be mean to you. There are going to be people that are going to hurt you. There are going to be all of that. And none of that is, should be unexpected. You don't look for it, but it happens. But again, when you think about the walk of Jesus as he walked three and a half years with his disciples, that they literally saw the character of God in motion. They saw like the woman caught in the very act of adultery and the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes bringing him up and trying to get him to, you know, cast stones with them and 
No, he, he bows down. People have many different ideas about what he kind of put into the sand there with his finger. Some say that he began to write the Ten Commandments because of the fact that the scriptures say they began to go out when he said, "Who you that are without the sin, well, you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And they began to go out from the eldest to the youngest, it says. Well, we don't know for sure. But one thing, where everybody else wants condemnation, God wanted redemption. You hear that, really? Everything about our life, everything about our Father is redemptive. Everything about us should be redemptive. Our very essence, our very being on this planet, we're called to be redeemers. We're called to be people that redeem situations with the goodness of God. But this is one of the keys. I often say this, how many people believe that God's rather spiritually mature? Now, it's corny, isn't it? Say, do we believe God's spiritually mature? Because we all want to be more mature in the spirit. Well, again, if God is love, then I would say unto you that the greatest display of spiritual maturity there is, is the love of God. So that's why when you look for maturity in believers, when you look for real maturity in God's people, you look to see if they look like the message. That's something God said to me years ago. He said, do you look like the message? I've never forgotten that. His message is just this. God loves mankind. God came to save the world, not to condemn the world. And so again, with the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus just looked at her and said, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. And he said, yep, that's right. He said, go, be free from your sin and sin no more. That's it, just go. Neither do I condemn you. Think about that. Think how quick today we would just jump on somebody. I mean, we love to attack for some reason. We love to talk about somebody that's messed up or talk about what they've done when they messed up. And we're so quick to have our opinion. We're so quick to make our own judgments. But see, that is literally a stink in the nostrils of God. We are to be representative of Jesus Christ, who is good, the Bible says, remember, God who loves the unkind and loves the ungodly. Think about it. He's good to the ungrateful. Do you really think he wants you to be good to the ungrateful too? Well, the fact of the matter is he does. And this is why the love walk is possibly the most disciplined position there is in Christianity because of how hard it's fought. And let me tell you, when you actually make the decision to walk after God's love, not, again, this earthly emotion about goosebumps, I guarantee it is the most fought message of all the scripture. Satan has to keep you away from the revelation of the depth, the height, the breadth, and the length of God's love. That's why he does everything he can to keep people agitated, to keep them always getting offended. People get so easily offended. In Psalm 119, 165, there's a verse I've always loved. It says, great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. And I, you know, I thought to me, wow, I sure need help in that area. Because we all have the opportunity to get offended. But the point is, in God's economy, for us to be godly, we have to become lovely. Amen? We need to become constrained, moved, captured, moving through the love of God. Love wrote this book. Love wrote the scriptures. 
This is why the number one law of Bible interpretation, as I was taught, was always this. Always interpret Scripture with the character of God in mind. Did you hear that? Always interpret Scripture with the character of God in mind. Well, if God is love, and that's why I like when you read a strange verse like in the book of Amos where it says, I am God, I kill, I make alive, I create evil. Something in you will go, oh, wow, man, that doesn't sound like love to me, so there's got to be something else in there that I'm not seeing yet. And believe me, there's a whole lot there yet to see because that is indeed not exactly what our ears think is being communicated in English. But that's why the love of God will cause you to stop halt and to say, okay, I don't get that yet, but I'm going to set that aside for a moment. But so nevertheless, like I said, this is an introduction. Ephesians 5 again, be therefore imitators of God. Copy him as well-beloved children and walk in love. We've been told, we've been absolutely told to walk in love. I'm going to read a couple of things off my old notes here. It says, the word of God says in Galatians 5, 6, Uncircumcision or circumcision avails nothing but only faith that is activated, energized, and expressed and working through love. Now, there's a lot of words I know, but you've got to hear this. Paul is saying, listen, guys, it's not about being circumcised. It's not, it doesn't have anything to, to do with the law. He said the only thing that's important is faith, but faith works through love. See, faith is like a bullet or a cartridge, but love is the vessel, love is the gun, love is the rifle, whatever you think of it, that shoots it. If you don't have faith in love, that faith will not produce. Did, did you hear me? If faith isn't wrapped around, energized, activated, is it, if, it's, is, if it's something that hasn't been initiated, like we talk about somebody really moving in faith or doing this in faith, it's knowing the love of God and knowing his desire flowing through you that energizes a gift, energizes faith to do something. Like our brother Reinhard Bonnke who went to the Lord, you know, it was the love of God for Africa that moved him so mightily to constantly, just constantly speak and confess all Africa should be saved. It was the love that motivated him to just use his faith to go and do everything he can and God blessed him with his incredible multi-million member, you know, crusades. Let me read. So many people have missed this profound truth. What Paul is saying is that any work that is of faith will be a work that's been, again, activated by the love of God. Faith isn't something that you simply conjure up because of a knowledge of some scriptures in the book of Mark. Indeed, that is a part of it. However, the greater truth is that an act of faith is something that is initiated because of God's love and compassion that is working in us and consuming us. When you really wake up to the fact that God knows every single stupid thing about you, every goofy fault, every fracture in your spirit, when you actually wake up to the fact that he knows everything silly about you and loves you regardless, see, that's his goodness that's intended to cause you to change. When you realize he knows everything, he knows every weakness. He knows every weakness. He knows every time I slip. He knows every time I mess up. But he loves me regardless. That actually shakes you up. You see, you, if you wake up to that, the thing is I learned you can't keep hurting someone who keeps loving you. you, you I hope you hear what I'm saying by that. 
It's incredibly difficult to keep hurting somebody who just keeps responding in love. But of course, if they respond, if you hurt them and then they just say something back to hurt you, well, that retaliation just causes more and more bitterness. It creates more and more distance. And distance is what Satan's after. He wants to create distance between you and God, distance between you and man, distance in every relationship. And he uses all these simple, simple things. Get irritated real easy. Get offended so quickly. You know, just be like a little baby and just cry every time you don't get your way. All of that stuff that shows that you're still a child. But maturity is seen when people begin to really walk and grasp and apprehend the love of God. Hallelujah. Now, so when I began this look, I remember I read here Matthew 22, 34, and 40, and I've got a few comments here from Adam Clark's commentary that I'm going to have our people put up. But this is very familiar. They asked, a guy came up to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, what's the great commandment? Some are weak, some are light, some are heavy. And Jesus answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. We all know this verse, but listen to it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he makes a statement, on these two commandments hang or hinge all the law and the prophets. Now you've got to really think that through. Everything that God reveals to his people through the law, his will, the revelation of sin, the revelation of how to conquer, walk, and what righteousness looks like, everything that God gave through the prophets, he says are summed up. You can add everything up, and you'll find them fulfilled in loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, that's profound. And I'll say it, and I'm gonna, I'll say it now, but I'm going to repeat myself later. In Romans, I'll show you a scripture in a few minutes where it says that love is the fulfilling of the law. Love fulfills every commandment. And see, way back when, when I first saw that, I thought to myself, I can labor over this aspect of walking in faith. I can labor over this aspect of deliverance. I can labor over this issue of, of God's will to provide for us. I can look at all of this and try to figure this out. But then I sat back and I thought to myself, but he said that love fulfills all the commandments. And I thought to myself, so if I get this one, if I can get this one commandment right, everything else will be natural. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? If I can get this one commandment, if I can get this one down, I mean, so that's why God led me all this years ago, make this your primary search. Make this your finite primary search. Do this. Find out what the love of God looks like because then you won't have to worry about those other little peripheral issues because if you get this one, you'll get them all. All of the rest of them will be just second nature. So to me, man, that was incredibly powerful. So again, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now here's... Um, <clears throat> Uh, for our lady back here, if she has them. This is the first. This is from Adam Clark's commentary. Adam Clark was an Englishman, actually born in Ireland, but he, he ministered from 17, I think he was born around 1760, 1770, 
and uh, up to the 1800s. So it was basically an 18th century gentleman that wrote at Clark's commentary, one of the best commentaries of commentaries. But I just thought this was good when I began my study all those years ago. Here's what he says about what it means to love with all thy heart. To love nothing in comparison with him and to love nothing but in reference to him who is ready to give up, do, who has in his heart neither love nor hatred, hope nor fear, inclination nor aversion, desire nor delight, but as they relate to God and are regulated by him. To love God with all your heart. Now those are quotes that you have to look at. This is why I used to sit and I just look at these and I'd say them out loud to myself and think on them. And I know that you can't grasp it all right this second. But if you're able to take this down, have a look at it. And then he said, all thy soul. And he said, all thy soul, his statement was this. All thy soul speaks to all thy life. Means ready to give up life for his sake, to endure all sorts of torments, and to be deprived of comforts rather than dishonor God if necessary. And I like this. He says, who employs life. In other words, put your life to work. Who employs life with all its comforts and conveniences to glorify God in, by and through. In other words, everything I do in life, I can set out to do it to glorify God. Now, see, that's incredibly powerful, too. Then he says, all thy mind. In a word, this is what he says, quote, in a word, he who sees God in all things, thinks of him at all times, having his mind continually fixed upon God, acknowledging him in all his ways. Hallelujah. So that's powerful. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul. This is the great commandment. Jesus, Jesus said this is the great commandment. So it's very similar to the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning. You're not even on the road to wisdom until you're able to acknowledge the most high God. This is why Corinthians says that all of the world's wisdom is absolute foolishness. You can have PhD, every kind of signification behind your name there is, but if you don't know God, he sees you as very unwise, to say the least. I mean, think about it again. Even in the book of John, you know, John at the Last Supper, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, at the Last Supper, you know, this is God's final instructions. This is his conversation around the table. And three times, three times, John 14 and John 15, three times, think about it. This is just after in John 13, he washes their feet, blows their mind, and says, this is the example I'm giving you. I'm not, I'm not teaching you how to pray. I'm not going to teach you how to evangelize. I'm not going to teach you how to deliver people from devils. I'm not going to teach you any of this. I mean, and all of that's vital. I'm not going to teach you about the gifts of the Spirit. But of the, all the examples he could have given them about three and a half years of walking with him, he washes their feet. And he said, this is the example. You're to serve one another. So you can't serve people unless you love them. But anyhow, in those John 14 and 15, three times he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And see, we just kind of say, yeah, I know that. And we just push it to the side. But if you consider the fact that it's a commandment, it's not a request. I looked up the definition of the word commandment in a lexicon many years ago, and it said this, a decree or a declaration from which there is no retreat. I like that. Think about this. A decree or a declaration from which there is no retreat. So you see, I've been commanded to love. That means 
it doesn't matter what my feelings are. Well, my feelings got hurt. Well, God bless your darling heart. <laughs> but I've been commanded to love by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That carries some weight. At least it should. I said I've been commanded. I haven't been invited. I've been commanded to love. So if he actually is Lord, not just Savior, but if he actually is Lord, then guess what? You begin to discipline yourself to respond in him, to respond in love, and not to satisfy your own fleshly urges to strike back, to retaliate, and to be angry. This is a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And then, of course, there's that wonderful statement, the only identificational sign that Jesus says will make you known as one of his disciples. He said, if you have this love for one another, that's when they shall know that you are my disciple. Amen? Really, please catch that. This is how they'll know that you're my disciple, that you have this love one for another. I said, this is how they'll know that you're my disciple. So you have to ask yourself the question, really, whose disciple am I in this situation? Because a lot of people, though they say they're Christians, are being disciples of Satan himself when they want to stay angry, complain, always freak out, get angry, stay angry, hold grudges, never forgive, I will not forgive, I will not forgive, you don't know what they did to me. Well, then you're definitely not walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember when they came to him and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus kind of smiled and said, ah, he said seven times 70. Not just seven, because they probably thought they were going to be cool. You know, I can forgive somebody seven times. And Jesus said, no, I'm more like 490 times. And you can just see the disciples going, what? But think about what's really been communicated. There's nothing more powerful, nothing more important to heaven than you stay free from strife, free from irritation, free from that stuff, and you, that you display this incredible character trait of God Almighty, which we're called to do. There's nothing more powerful. Now, I had spoke to this one earlier, but um, Romans 13, verses 9 and 10, and I'm, these are my last verses here for this morning, okay? Romans 13, 9 and 10, Paul says, the commandments, really hear this, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, have an evil desire, and listen, and any other commandment, you need to say that out loud, any other commandment are summed up in the single command, you shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to one's neighbor. It never hurts anybody. God is love. He never hurts anybody. Therefore, listen, Love meets all the requirements and is the fulfilling of the law. Now, see, when I read that, you know, it's your choice to believe it or not, but this is why it became the main focus of my Christian journey. And boy, have I perfected this? Absolutely not. Like you say, all you have to do is talk to my wife. She'll tell you real quick, I have not perfected this. But this is what I set out to learn. And this is what we're going to go through for several weeks. I mean, we know, again, basic scriptures, we're going to cover them. But even the whole fact about fear, we all know that it's the love of God that destroys fear. That alone should be the reason that you seek the revelation of the love of God more than anything else. 
Love destroys apprehension and fear. Peace comes. Where there's peace, faith is natural. It's not something contrived. And so then we finish with Matthew 7, 12, where he said, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. To do everything in our power through all the possible varieties of circumstances for our neighbors, which we would wish them to do for us if our situations were reversed. Hallelujah. Well, this is, like I said, just the introduction to this. We've got a lot of things we're going to delve into. We're literally going to go from epistle to epistle all the way through the New Testament epistles where you'll see that actually the heartbeat and the crux and the main part of the message that every single one of them is around this issue, God's love. Amen. So we love you much. Hope you enjoyed this first session and that you'll join us soon. Let me just pray over you. Father, again, I just thank you. You said that the entrance of your word brings light. And I'm asking from the depth of my being, Father, that the revelation of this I can somehow communicate it good for you, that I can communicate it well, and that your anointing will be upon these truths and these words for the good of your people. May they receive the love of God, but Father, may they demonstrate the love of God in their lives wheresoever they go. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I give you thanks for this. Amen.